Welcome back to Podcast 39 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us the Osbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Osbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by BetRivers.com. For a 100% sign-up bonus up to 250 bucks. please visit BetRivers. Use the promo code ODDS22. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to help us out and sponsor the website and the podcast, Become a member. We would love to help you out. Please visit theisbreakers.com. Click shop and become a member. Pick any of our premium handicappers and their packages to get their premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Osbreakers and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. Football is still rolling here at the Osbreakers podcast, at least for myself and for many of our other premium cappers as you know we have our early bird packages up there our membership packages that you can capitalize on for the whole season become a member of the Osbreakers and support us and you can also get a free hat with any purchase all the way up to september so if you're interested in becoming a member of any one of us please feel free to inquire with us at the Osbreakers on twitter or at the Osbreakers. Dot com. We appreciate every single person that helps us out, and we also appreciate every single person that listens to this podcast. We have a wonderful show for you today, my friends, because Brad Powers from Brad Powers Sports is coming on to break down the college football 2022 season and take a look at some of these weaker lines that are out here nice and early before they get hit and before they move in the proper direction. No better person to have on for college football, in my opinion, than Brad Powers, who's been at it for years, who does the most studying and has the most knowledge, not just from a betting standpoint, but from a team standpoint, and break down as much as possible, hopefully give you some free plays and some value nice and early this summer. Before Brad comes on, I'm going to talk a little UFC Vegas 57 for the weekend. And I also want to talk about such an amazing (laughs) event for UFC 275. Now, I myself only went three for six in UFC. So I uh, was down a little bit. My three plays at least were mainly plus money, but I haven't seen a fight as good as Yuri Prochaska versus Glover Teixeira in a very long time. I could not believe how crazy it was. And it's not like it was a great game plan on both sides because Glover should have won that if it went to the cards, if he just stayed on his feet and backed away. And Yuri just had a terrible game plan coming in. The only time he would really get taken down is when he high-kicked Glover, and it would just get him in trouble and get him uh, on, on his back. He was on his back for a ton of the fight, but he was able to move Glover around and push him pu- uh, push himself on top, not nearly the amount of time 
that uh, Glover had from a control standpoint, and that's why the fight would have went to Glover, right? I mean, looking at the actual numbers, Glover had nine minutes and 47 seconds of control, and Yuri had four minutes of control. Both of them had about 111 significant strikes and 120 for Yuri. But then Glover made, makes a stupid mistake, tries to go down. Yuri gets on top of him with like 30 seconds left and submits Glover. One of the least probable things from an odd standpoint, 30 to 1 Yuri by submission, 30 to 1 Yuri in the fifth round to beat Glover. I mean, I'm so glad I didn't take that Yuri first round or second round play that everybody was taking. I just had way too much respect for Glover, and it kind of played out that way. But at the same time, I don't think Yuri cares about his game plan. He's the new champion now based upon Glover's screw-up, but Yuri just wanted to do what he likes to do. He wanted to do his leg kicks, even though they were bad anyway. Bad idea anyway. And uh, Glover, at the very end, was gassed out and tried to submit Yuri rather than backing off because that's how he fights. I would love to see a rematch here, and I'm very curious what the odds would be. I would tell you right now that I would probably make Yuri minus 130, minus 140, certainly not minus 200 that he came into this fight at. And you also would have to hope that Yuri would have a better, I guess, uh, a better game plan for this fight right he should re-watch what happened and see where he made his mistakes and that's why i would still favor yuri in this fight but it was absolutely fantastic i had to smoke a cigar afterwards it was just it was just that good of a fight so the fight right before this i was upset about because i had talia santos against valentina shevchenko remember i said plus 500 just too much and Santos, I really believe, won at least three rounds here. Some people said that she was 4-0. I think she was 3-1 and coming into the fifth, and she lost the fifth round. But at the same time, you look at significant strikes. Valentina only had 7-7, 77. Uh, Talia had 55. But Talia had 8 minutes and 49 seconds of control to Valentina's 4 minutes and 15 seconds. Also, Valentina gave her an illegal headbutt. And I think you can't tell if things are done on purpose or not, but Valentina was losing the fight and she swung her head completely up with her arm. I'm just saying that this was a desperate move by Valentina, the way she kind of went into that. And it really hurt Talia Santos. So people that are sticking up for Valentina said, well, she did some more damage. No, no, that headbutt is what did the damage mainly to Talia. And it really slowed Talia down for the rest of the fight. I think it was in the third round that that headbutt happened. Maybe it was in the fourth. But I had Talia win in three of those rounds because she was in a rear naked choke with a leg lock, a body triangle around Valentina and still lost this fight. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. The same thing happened with the Brendan Allen fight, right? I thought that Jacob Malkoon beat Allen. Malkoon had seven minutes of control to Brendan Allen's three minutes. Of course, Brendan Allen had stronger strikes. But at the same time, Brendan Allen did less than Shevchenko and probably and still won this fight, okay? So it was the same situation. So I'm starting to realize that since the Corey Sandhagen-Dillashaw fight, 
where Sanhagen was beating the crap out of him and Dillashaw was just bear hugging him, getting control points and winning the fight because of that, the UFC must have had some meeting with the judges and said they had to start, they have to switch that. Now, I am totally cool with that if it, the fight is not completely lopsided, right? I, I think that Sanhagen really did beat Dillashaw. I don't think Brandon Allen really beat Mel Coon, and I don't think Valentina really beat Talia. I think you should shift it somewhat, but Talia still had her down for over half of this fight, right? Over half of the time in this fight, Talia had control. And the significant strikes is only different by 77 to 55. So we have to notice for next time how they are scoring these bouts, favoring the striker. Now, obviously, very dangerous to think like that because if you're going to favor the striker in your bets, you better hope they don't get choked out because there was a time that Valentina should have got choked out. There was a time that Brendan Allen, I thought, might have got choked out. And if you want to even look at another fight with Ameev, Ameev had Jack Della, Madalena dead to rights, and he made a stupid move, and then Jack got out of it and knocked him out. But there's just many times that you have to realize if you think this fighter could be finished, maybe you bet on the bet on the grappler, but now it really feels that judges are shifting towards the striker. Pay attention to that. Especially pay attention to that in the apex, in the in the smaller ring, because that's what favors the strikers in the first place. All right, now let's touch on the event coming up for the weekend. You have Kelvin Qatar versus Josh Emmett. And this is going to be a pretty good match, but Qatar is already minus 230 to Josh Emmett being plus 190. Qatar, he's got 5.19 significant strikes land per minute to Emmett's 4.28. 4.28 is not too shabby at all. Qatar a little bit more accurate. Uh, you got to give the takedowns to Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett's a little bit more of the grappler. 1.25 takedowns, poor 15 minutes to 0.51 with Qatar. Now, digging a little bit deeper into these guys, I got to tell you that uh, Josh Emmett is a formidable opponent here. Is his price right? I'm not so sure. Here's the thing with Emmett. He beat Dan Ige. We are finding out that Dan Ige is not that good losing four of his last five fights. He got Edson Merbosa, but before that, most of his wins were by, let's just say, a lot of bombs. Okay, tier three, tier four guys. Now, Josh Emmett beat Shane Burgos. I'll give him that. Uh, kind of threw Shane around. Shane has a loss recently to Edson Barbosa and obviously that Josh Emmett. But he did beat Billy Quarantino in November. But the biggest surprise happened with Qatar for me was when Qatar beat Giga Chikatse back in January. And this feels like this 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 feels like it wasn't even that long ago. I, I was surprised to see January because I really thought it was back in March that this fight happened. That's how fast I guess uh I guess time flies. But Giga was a badass and I could not believe Qatar's stand up was this good. He wouldn't let Giga do anything. It was a big improvement that I've seen from Qatar. I was absolutely shocked. You know, I was on Giga. I lost this fight. 
you know, Qatar coming in and Qatar has that loss before that to Max Holloway, who I was at least on Holloway back in January of 2021. Then, of course, he beat Dan Ige like everybody else is doing. He beat Jeremy Stevens. You know, he's got a couple losses sprinkled around in there, but I seen a, a very surprising fight when Qatar uh, beat the crap out of Giga, and if that fight went another round, Giga probably would have been knocked out. It was a five-round decision. But uh, I, I will tell you that he's going to have some problems with Josh Emmett because Josh Emmett is a little bit better on the mat, in my opinion. Now, what I will say is if you look at em- Emmett's losses, one is by KO, one is by decision. He's 17-2, and two, but he's 37 years old. Qatar, 34 years old, 23 and 5. Okay. Qatar has less miles on him. What did I just say about the UFC? They're favoring the striker, and that's what Qatar is going to do. Now, the location of this bout is in the Moody Center in Austin, Texas, which I believe is a 30 foot mat. But all in, just looking at the strength of schedule against for Josh Emmett, was his biggest win. Shane Burgos at the at 145 pounds featherweight? Or was his biggest win way back when he beat Scott Holzman? Probably not, right? Ricardo Lamas? He hasn't fought in anybody. And he lost to Jeremy Stevens. Right? You got a guy like Qatar who uh beat Jeremy Stevens, beat Ige, and then beat Giga. Qatar's a correct favorite here. What you need to figure out is, 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 is can Qatar finish him? Qatar has 11 KOs and 10 decisions, okay? So when it comes to this type of situation, it is a five-round fight. I'm going to bet Qatar. I'm going to I'm going to find the best number I can. Maybe I can find a minus 220, minus 210 or something like that. I'm hoping some money comes in on Emmett. But um, I am also probably going to use Qatar in a parlay. The next fight, Cowboy Cerrone versus Joe Lazon. Cerrone's been getting his ass kicked lately, if you haven't noticed. He lost, what, six fights in a row? The Nico Price one was overturned. <laughs> you know? Um, I, I just don't know what to do here. Because I used to like Cowboy, and he used to be tougher. And the dude is just, I have so much respect for him with how long he's been in the uh in the UFC 36 wins and 16 losses but he's in the twilight of his career but so is Joel Azan Joel Azan's 38 years old right I think that's the same age as Cowboy Cowboy 39 years old okay you look at these fighters they're really not that different from each other Cerrone 4.43 significant strikes per minute Jolazon is only at 2.84, so I guess that's different. But the takedown is for Lazan. Lazan has more takedowns and more submissions. This fight is just all over the place because Lazan has lost by KO six times, submission six, three times, decision six times. Um, Cerrone is eight KOs lost, one submission. And seven decisions. You know, in their in, in these guys' older years, I tend to think that this fight is probably not going to go to decision. And you have to lay minus 180 on that. But 
I am not completely convinced yet. I'm going to lean. This fight does not go to decision at minus 180. So I'm going to skip Kevin Holland versus Tim Means. Um, but I do want to go to Gregory Rodriguez versus Julian Marquez is the one I want to talk about. This is going to be a good fight. And this is the first fight of the main card. Julian's about 6'2". He's a bear, <laughs> just a big beastly man. He can submit 3.21 submissions <laughs> on average per 15 minutes. And Gregory Rodriguez is more of a striker. Julian is 4.2 significant strikes per minute. And Gregory is 5.28 significant strikes per minute. Now, Gregory does have the takedowns. For some reason, Julian doesn't show that well when it comes to takedowns. But he still somehow has three wins by submission, six by KO, and zero by decision. His only two losses, Marquez, is by decision. He lost a split decision back in July of 2018 in his second UFC fight. I just uh, I, I just found something very strange about Gregory Rodriguez. Robocop Rodriguez. Big guy, 6'3", and this is a middleweight fight at 185. He has five KOs, four submissions, and two decisions. He hasn't submitted somebody since March of 2018 in a different federation in the Jaguar combat. Okay? So that seems like a pretty long time. He was submitting his guys earlier in his career but once he kind of moved up, you know, we went to Dana White's contender series and got KO'd by Jordan Williams. Okay. Straight up KO'd by Jordan Williams. And he beats four guys in a row, including Jun Young Park, which is a you know pretty good fighter. Probably a tier two fighter, I would say. He just beat Eric Anders, I guess, right? But then he lost to Armand Petrosian. So, I mean, Armand's pretty good, but I, I don't think he's that great. One thing I like about Marquez, not only that he's a dog, he's just a very big bear of a man, okay? And he can finish you either way. And he has some very nice wins versus Sal Malvi, Mackie Patolo, and Darren Stewart. He also beat Phil Hawes in Dana White's Contender Series. Look at how good Phil Hawes has been, right? So technically, I'm not sure if the correct fighter is favored here. I don't know why Gregory Rodriguez is such a favorite when his wins aren't any better than Marquez's. He's only been in the UFC for three fights. And Marquez can do both. He can knock you out. He can submit you. And his only losses were by decision. I got to go with Marquez here at plus 135. And I think that's going to go down. I think there's going to be more money coming in on Marquez here. Actually, sorry. It's at plus 165. I was reading the wrong one. I was reading Gurum's. Plus 165 
for Marquez against Gregory Rodriguez, I think is fantastic value at 185. And I think he's got a very good shot at winning. I would say if I was making a line, I would make Marquez a slight favorite at minus 120. They're just looking at size here and striking. Now, obviously, I do favor the striker, but Marquez isn't so bad himself at 4.2 significant strikes per minute. And looking at Marquez's jaw, we know that it's better than Rodriguez. At least we have to assume that. Being that Rodriguez has been KO'd two times and Marquez has been KO'd zero times. Bet Marquez at 1.5 stars for plus 165. Well, I've been with the best and I beat the best. I've retired more men than Social Security. (laughs) All right, my friends. That's all I have for now for the UFC, being it's a little bit early in the week. Now getting to college football 2022 with our special guest, Brad Powers. Now I'm very excited to welcome back one of the very best of college football handicapping, Mr. Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com, an avid Notre Dame fan here. Look at that hat. You can follow Brad at bradpowers7. Brad. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, you know, it, spring's actually almost over. We, summer's about here. You changed your Twitter picture to uh, Lloyd Carr. I, I got to love that, man. What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> I just th- I thought, it, first off, thanks for having me on. Uh, good to see you. I know the season's getting closer whenever I see you. And uh, Lloyd Carr is just, you know, funny picture. Lloyd Carr in a Notre Dame hat, something you, you don't see every day. I put it that way, so. I just having some fun with my, uh, you know, t- Twitter there. You sure are, and obviously his son uh, making the news recently, and uh, isn't that his son? Uh, that grandson, grandson, grandson. Yeah, duh, duh, grandson is what I meant to say. And uh, looks like he's going to Notre Dame, getting the hell out of Dodge. Which you know, as a kid, you understand that. You know, it's uh, absolutely. You don't have to do exactly what your parents did. You create your own legacy. I kind of. I kind of like that, and I, I like how you're trolling uh, Michigan fans like you are with that uh, with that picture of Carr. <laughs> so that's, uh, I got a big I, I, I got a big kick out of that, my man. But uh, Brad, I, I have to ask you from the get go: How many spring games have you watched this year, man? Personal record: I uh, 59 was what I watched this year, and that's pretty much everyone that was broadcasted. Whether it's, I mean, obviously mainly Power Five teams and a majority of those, but you know, even counting a UNLV spring game that I physically attended uh, here in Vegas. So, yeah, it's uh, it's becoming that's time consuming. When people, well, what were you doing? Well, in April, I mean, 59 spring games. Do the math times two hours. Uh, minimum i mean uh, there's 100 hours right there it's 100 hours that's a lot of work man and that's a lot of uh paying attention let's say uh you know unfortunately when i have kids i'm not quite i'm I'm not quite allowed that time to uh delve too much i try to do it uh early mornings and late nights but uh i i think it's very impressive that you did that and it's so cool and uh i'm a huge college football fan as you know but um before we get into I, let's just say the the Vegas lines. I have to ask you about the SEC. Um, <laughs> and, and you know what? It's something that ESPN's not going to talk about. It's something that a lot of people aren't going to talk about. Are they creating their own college football league? Uh, I mean, we're getting there. I mean, I, I just don't think it's going to be SEC specific. I, I think it'll be probably a combination of them and the Big Ten. Uh, you know, my expectation is – we're going to see probably 30 teams or so 
uh, just, you know, go their separate ways from the NCAA. And what it'll look like, from what I understand, is it'll be basically semi-pro. Uh, you, you'll totally lose the academic part of student-athlete. I mean, it'll just be basically a new football league, but what they'll use is the specific – they'll use, like, the, the name brand in the school. So it'll be Alabama football, but it's not going to have much to do with the school at that point. It'll just be – uh, you know, they'll have their own you know, rules and regulations uh, outside the NCAA. So, I mean, that's where we're heading. And obviously the 16 SEC teams, once you count Texas and Oklahoma move in next year, plus, you know, a lot of the, the main Big Ten teams will be a part of it. But I obviously the group of five won't be a part of it. Uh, and even like schools, I, I think in the power five, like your Californias or Oklahoma States or Kansas States, I don't expect them to, to be a part of it. So there'll be different levels. I think you'll still, if you're a college football guy and you like the student-athlete aspect, I still think there'll be teams involved in that. So, uh, But I just think that the top 30 or 40 programs will break away. It is so funny that they're still going to call themselves the University of Alabama when it might not have nothing to do with that, right? And, <laughs> and, and, and anything. But at the same time, Let's face it; these kids aren't hold, held to the same standard as somebody getting a yep. a business degree, a finance degree, an engineering degree, or anything like that. It's uh, it, it's like they're doing now, but they're just trying to do it with a little bit more control and more power. But I mean, having the ESPN backing is simple. You just have ESPN say that they're the better teams. In many cases, they are, especially the top two. But you're probably going to see more and more of them trying to compare the Mississippi States to the Michigans and stuff like that. And until they join yeah. in with the SEC, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get that biased approach because there's a conflict of interest right there. As a Big Ten fan, I don't I don't like it because I'm a Big Ten fan, and I think that's going to possibly go away if this keeps rolling. I can see the next two teams is Clemson and Ohio State. They're going to target. They're going to target them. Michigan. I don't know what Notre Dame's going to do, but they're going to have to jump ship too at some point if they want to stay that relevant. It, it's it's just a crazy atmosphere, isn't it, Brad? Well, I'll give you a uh, – if you're a Big Ten fan, I mean, I'm, you're hearing whispers that they might target like a USC, uh, and that would be smart because that would obviously probably pull in like a Notre Dame. So, I mean, if the Big Ten wants to answer to the SEC, that would be two good places to start. I mean, if you get those two – types of brands, two national type brands, or especially SC on the West Coast, especially with SC, now it looks like they're rededicating themselves to, to being a big boy player in college football. I think that would be good for, for at least the Big Ten. I mean, as a look, I'll, I'll say this, everything that's going on, NIL, transfer portal, realignment, I mean, as a fan, I don't like it, college football fan, but I got to tell you, as a better, I love it. Because there's so much uncertainty, and I feel like I can price that uncertainty better than the market can. I agree with you 100%. The more uncertainty, the more study time that you get to put in and go against a weaker market because of that uncertainty. And that just makes sense. The people that do the homework are going to end up winning out. And you're the man watching all these spring games that's doing more homework than anybody. So great points there. But I will tell you right now, that would be a fantastic decision 
if the Big Ten is it tries to expand with some of the biggest stuff. I can't imagine schools like Stanford, Cal, and Oklahoma State, uh, you know, being being left out of this type of situation. It almost blows my mind. What the Big Ten doesn't have is ESPN backing them, though. So it, it's going to be a little bit contentious in that, and it's going to make make the SEC a little bit more attractive, I think four teams to go there i don't know how many teams they go and i do agree that the group of five is pretty much going to be division two football and everything's yeah. and everything's going to move down as long as we can bet it i'm okay with that as long as we can bet it i'm okay too and uh it, it's just going to be a different way of looking at things but uh that's what uh money and power does to the sport and uh you know to be honest with you these students aren't there to go to college in many cases as well and i've been been in many fights about this with people i think people should be able to market themselves and uh, don't, no need to get into that, but there is uh, definitely more of a professional way of looking at these 18-year-old kids than we have in the past. Let's move on to the next question. What are some of the most surprising early coaching moves that you've seen? I have one, at least one, but uh, I want to see what you have first. Uh, good question. I mean, do you mean with the moves that were made last year or moves that have been, you know, surprising results so far this offseason? I'm going to go with moves that have just ma- been made. But if you want to say a, pers- a, subscri- uh, a surprising result, I'd love to hear it. Well, I mean, I think you got to start with the, the, the two. I mean, you're talking about a couple of blue blood programs that saw their coaches leave for other college football programs, something we just haven't seen historically speaking too often and it starts with lincoln riley at oklahoma blue blood program a team that's you know been in the college football playoff mix here recently under lincoln riley you know goes and gets paid even more at sc i i mean surprising because i mean at least the last five to ten years oklahoma's been in the better program now oklahoma's transitioning to the sec and maybe lincoln riley is smarter than me and he's Thinking, you know, how did, you know, we've been beating up on the Kansas States of the world uh, for the last five to 10 years. And there's a little difference between Ole Miss and Kansas State uh, on a week in and week out basis. And there's certainly a difference between Texas and Alabama. Uh, don't believe me. Look at that point spread in week two. Uh, so uh, maybe he was concerned um, with Oklahoma's, you know, stature in a new conference. He goes out west where, I mean, let's face it, I mean, if SC's rolling, they own, they own the Pac-12. There's nobody else that can really compete outside of maybe Oregon and the Nike money. So, I mean, that was a surprise to me that that happened. And then the other one would, you know, involve, you know, the Fighting Irish. You got a guy in Brian Kelly. I mean, his team's in the playoff mix even last year. Don't don't know if their name's going to be called to be that fourth team to go to the playoff for the third time in four years. And he decides to, to leave down to, and to go to Baton Rouge. Now, I'm not sure if that's a great fit for him. But, you know, who can argue with a guy that basically got 10 years, $95 million, and pretty much all guaranteed money. So, I mean, it, what, what we're seeing is I've always said this about college football. I think it really reflects where we are as a society more than any other sport. When you think about all the different geographic and regions, you, you're, you're rich, and, you know, universities, you're poor universities. You, you look at it ethically, uh, you know, anything, you know, you look at all the disparity between it. Uh, and the fact that the rich get richer and you you look at the almighty dollar weighing out over everything, I mean, I guess you shouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Brian Kelly move on. Yes, that's true. And we know that uh, with Brian Kelly and many others, honesty and money don't always mix uh, from his statements he made <laughs> right before he moved. 
uh, and you can ask Phil Mickelson the same thing. But what I will say <laughs> is, it's it wasn't as surprising for Brian Kelly to me because. I don't think he was good. I think he just brought that team so far to so many playoffs, and they just can't get over the hump against the biggest Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States. It's almost time to like start from zero and then be loved then because the fans were like losing their patience, I guess. And you can ask a lot of Notre Dame fans, they weren't that sorry to see him go, you know? And that is so interesting to me. It's just like the winningest coach in Notre Dame history, I believe, at least from a percentage standpoint. And uh, from a win standpoint, from a win percentage, like seven. So he did a good job marketing that. Uh, He's also the losingest coach in Notre Dame history. And he set that mark about five or six years ago. So kudos for Kelly for getting the marketing team on that. (laughs) It's got a good marketing team. Well, there you go. And there's 95 million reasons why he made that move. Lincoln Riley was surprising to me because Oklahoma's moving to the SEC. They're moving to the top conference here. And then he's jumping ship going out uh, to the West. Now, maybe he was a little bit burnt out. He had himself kind of a down year himself. Um, it seems like he wasn't getting a lot of response, but I think he just wants to test the new waters and maybe live the L.A. lifestyle or something. I mean, he's going to bring a ton of talent to that school. They got the money to do it. You're right. They only compete against Nike money in Oregon, so that maybe evens the playing field. Maybe he wants to be on top of the totem pole again where he just sees Oklahoma kind of blending in now. And, uh, yep. you know, and the, the Oklahoma still will recruit, but they're not going to be, you know, Oklahoma's top of the Big 12, them, and I guess you can say Texas, even though Texas hasn't been. But now he's got a great shot here at USC. So it's interesting to me, if he fails there, I still think he can get hired into the SEC just from his uh, offensive prowess and uh, the way he's been running his business at Oklahoma. He still has those records. So not. Um, it was definitely surprising to see that move. You know, it's funny. Um, I think that Brett Venables just made a great time to move to Oklahoma. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, it was perfect. He was he held out. He could have been a head coach two, three years ago easily, and he held out for the right job. And I think it's work. And I think it's a great uh, situation for him. And now he's going to the SEC really in, in a year or so. So that's great for him. I think it, I think the most surprising thing to see is Clay Helton going to Georgia <laughs> Southern. Man, I think he went there. I think uh, we've had our Clay Helton discussions for a long time. I used to hear, uh, you know, you unbang the book, obviously, say talk about Clay Helton all the time, and I, uh, I envy, I, I completely agreed with you know all my frustration with Clay Helton, and um, it, he's just not the kind of guy that uh, we you know he that should have lasted that long at USC. But it's gonna be it's just funny to see him at it, go from an, that to an option team. Now he's got to turn that whole thing around. And try to fix it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. As far as uh, you talk, everyone talks about Brian Kelly not being a good cultural fit at LSU. Not sure that Clay Elton's <laughs> a great cultural fit at Georgia Southern. So that was a unique one. I'll give you one. I didn't know you want to go small school. Uh, Joe Moorhead to Akron was a surprise. Good way for Akron. I'm just surprised Joe Moorhead, uh, you know, a former Mississippi State head coach, uh, former offensive coordinator, obviously at Penn State here and recently. He takes a job at Akron, one of the bottom five programs in the country last decade. So that was a, a really surprise for me at the group of five level. I'm easy from Ohio. <laughs> Blew my mind, too. He's got Northeast ties. Uh, I think he was an assistant at Akron I mean, a long time ago. We're talking 15-plus years ago. I, I, I think it's a, he's a better fit at Akron than what uh, 
I mean, he was at Oregon the last couple of years. I, I don't know if that was a geographic fit for him. And neither was Mississippi State, obviously. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But I definitely look forward to uh, seeing go Clay Helton to, at Georgia Southern and hopefully get some more tweets out of you, uh, Adam Burke, and myself <laughs> here uh, coming to see how well he fares over at Georgia Southern. And real quick, do you have a surprising result that you wanted to say from a coaching change? Well, I'm going to give you one that, you know, I'll give you two quick ones that I, I don't think the market's reacting like it should, but two ones to keep an eye on as far as under under the radar that I think are going to end up being really good hires. Kalen DeBoer at Washington. Uh, that's one where the markets and the wise guys really respect him. The job that he did not only at Fresno State, but an offensive coordinator and even at Indiana. When Indiana kind of made that surge, he was a guy calling plays. So keep an eye on him at Washington. And then just from generally speaking, from a coaching staff, from a recruiting aspect and everything, uh, you look at Joey McGuire at Texas Tech. I mean, right now in recruiting, Texas Tech's got the number two class for the upcoming season. Now, that's not going to hold, but the fact that they've been up there and he has such good ties, he's a former Texas uh, high school head football coach. Got a lot of respect in that state. Look for Texas Tech to improve as a program. Maybe they'll be as good as they've been since Mike Leach left over a decade ago. That's some great stuff there. Didn't even think about that. Holy cow, Texas Tech. That would be fantastic for that program. And, uh, you know, they've been in the dumps for a while, um, you know, since uh, since his what's-his-face left to, to uh, the NFL. And, sorry, lost his name. Uh, he, st- uh, he stunk. Uh, Kingsbury stunk. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. had a good offense, but... I mean, no different than the NFL. I mean, they they would always fade down the stretch. That's true. He, I think he got him a couple bowls, but I think six wins, seven wins was where he kind of topped off, wasn't it? I think he also yep. f- failed a couple times too. All right, let's move on to the you, – you mentioned the transfer portal. How does it affect your routine now when adjusting your power rings? Does it kind of come, come and go as soon as you find information? Well, it's a case-by-case basis. I mean, obviously, quarterbacks is the biggest one that I keep an eye on. But, I mean, go back to your first question they asked me, why do you watch spring games, 59 of them? Well, a lot of it's transfer portal. I want to see guys and how they fit in new situations just because, you know, that they had a, a successful career or they didn't work out at their previous place doesn't mean that it won't work out or it's going to be – you know, a great fit for them just because they had success at a previous stop. So that that's why I make myself watch as many spring games as I do. Uh, how does it affect power rings? I'll say this. I, I don't think we have a big enough data sample size yet to see if the transfer portal really works or not. I would say the Alabama method where, you know, we got two or three holes that we need fixing in a tra- and we're going to use a transfer portal. I think that is – gonna work and be very uh successful moving forward the ones that i kind of question are you know for every michigan state that's out there last year they they, you know brought in 20 some transfers and worked out beautifully i I don't know that that's going to be always successful for every program so a couple of programs obviously we got to watch this year to see if it works out lsu and usc heavy transfers heavy roster turnover We'll see. I mean, it's certainly going to help them from a depth aspect this year. Otherwise, I mean, we wouldn't see, you know, USC uh, being a Pac-12 favorite without the transfer portal. But I also I'm not sure you bring guys from all over the different all over the country. You got a new coaching staff. You got the four, you know, the older players. How do they fit in? I'm just you got NIL now. And I'm, I'm worried about the locker room, uh, whether it works out or not. I Again, I think it's going to be touch and go. But from a power ratings aspect, the only way it really 
you know, matters to me is if, you know, you brought in a good quarterback, looks good in the spring for me. He's a bigger upgrade than what you had or what you proceed to have before bringing him in. That, that, that's the only one that really moves the needle for me at this point. And great point about NIL because NIL brings politics. And if you're a, yep. if you're a player and you know you're better than that kid that's getting paid and he gets getting played because of the politics and can't admit you're wrong, boosters, that, that causes a locker room problem. It certainly does, and it, it'll spin off. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you got your quarterback making $2 million, uh, and you got your offensive lineman. He's got an NIL deal with the local barbecue shop making $10,000. So uh, if there's not a good relationship there between the quarterback and the offensive lineman, I wonder how that's going to work out. I also worry about, say you're a good assistant coach, like you move your way up, you've been in the, the game for 10 years, you're an assistant coach now in an SEC type of program, you're making three, 400000 a year now, but now you got to cater to a 17-year-old kid in high school that, that wants seven-figure you know, NIL deals. I just – I, it's going to be interesting. I, again, as a fan, I am very, very concerned. Man, as a better, I'm excited because I think – and I started to see some – Last year, I think at the end of the year, I mean, teams with locker room issues, the market could not catch up with teams. I, you know, FIU is a team that just, I mean, just got absolutely obliterated against the spread four or five straight games to close the season. And because of a short sample size of college football, I'm not sure the markets will ever catch up with some of these teams. Yeah, that's very true. It is a short sample size, so we're going to have to wait and see. But I'll tell you this, man, NIL money is going to make losing a hell of a lot harder than it was yep. before. So I'm excited to see how it changes our handicap game seven and on to see where the, some of these teams go. It's so interesting to me. Well, real quick, how do you come up with the number for your season win totals? I can tell you mine is probably similar. Why don't you go ahead and shoot? Yeah, I mean, basically what I do is I take my power ratings, which is, you know, always it's almost like a living organism at this point with the you know transfer portal and whatnot but i take my power rating at the time you know i plug that power rating into a schedule uh you know it's an excel spreadsheet that i have that has the the opponent's power ratings i factor in home and away obviously home field advantage doesn't mean as much as what it did 10 15 years ago but still on average i mean and that's that's staggered i mean obviously in alabama home field is different than akron but you know, I have each team's home field advantage worth, you know, point, point and a half, two, up to three points. So plug that into that schedule and, you know, I get my uh, season win total forecast. And it's not necessarily, oh, Alabama's favored by double digits in every single one of their games. Your season win total is 12. No. I mean, for each projected point spread, uh, you get, you know, a percentage of win. So if Alabama's a 17-point favorite in a game, they're getting like, you know, their chances of winning that game is like 90%. So instead of a full win, they get like 0.9. Yeah, you know, put that into that 12-game schedule, divide by 12, and you get your season win total. Now, I have that number, and then I also personally go in it myself. And, and you know, what would I, Brad Powers, make a season win total? So, I mean, I got my power rating as kind of my crutch, but then I go through every team and, you know, put it on there so that's what i do and look for spots you know i mean oh yeah, yeah, yeah the the oldest way we used to do it is circle wins and losses and 0.5 you know i still do that to be honest with you. i i do the same thing you have i have a spreadsheet that calculates the winning percentage and it adds it up you know throughout the full yep. schedule so that's, that's the that's the way to do it for anyone watching or listening 
that is the way to do it, folks. I mean, you have to do it that way. Yeah, that is the most that that is completely the way to do it. Otherwise, you might as well not even have power ratings, right? So, yeah. you, so you do it that way. But then you also want to check on some spots. There might be some really uh, questionable sandwiches. There might be a team might have four away games in a row. Hell, Auburn's yep. Auburn's only got four away games this whole season. I, I you know it's it's just really interesting to look at it from a case by case basis. Maybe look at uh, uh, some injury proneness too. If uh, you know the quarterback's always getting injured and their backup's not that good, that could affect it. Uh, depth and just a few other little things, but. Just like you, Brad, I go completely by that, and if uh, and if I can't talk myself off it by the other ways I'm doing it, I'm usually firing. So great stuff. But piggybacking from that question, let's get right into some of these conferences, then, shall we, Brad? Let's do it. All right. Well, let's let's start with the American Athletic Conference. Now, there's not a lot of conference futures out at a lot of books. I'm sure if you shop, you can find them, but. Um, I think the Power Five has them, but the season win yep. total numbers are out. So just kind of previewing what people say. And the, with the American Athletic Conference, I'll just start. I don't have much on it to say. What I will say is Houston is the team that everybody seems to be watching right now. Their conference schedule avoids both Cincinnati and UCF. Um, I don't like their non-conference schedule, though. I think it's kind of weird for this team to start out at UTSA which seems to return a decent amount of people. I know it's a lower yep. conference, with you, but still, they're the best of their conference, kind of, right? I, you can argue West Kentucky or UA, uh, uh, UAB, but they want it. And then uh, at Texas Tech, you made a great point about Texas Tech. So, that I mean, it, that doesn't justify me going over nine with Houston, and I kind of feel like they're going to be a little bit public this year. Well, I'm going to see what your thoughts are on this conference. I didn't make any plays. Well, for, for me, obviously, Houston, I think there's three teams in the mix. And I'm not going to be, you know, breaking news here. I mean, it starts with Cincinnati, even though they lost a record nine players for a group of five program in the NFL draft. They've recruited better th- than everybody at the group of five level. And uh, I, I'm a big fan of Luke Fickle and the stability there. So they, they right now they're still the best team in my power ratings. They, they would be favored over the Houstons and the UCFs of the world. Not significantly like last year, but – there's still a little bit of a gap there. Houston and UCF uh, are right in the mix there between who's the number two team in the AAC. You know, I, I'm not a huge Dana Holgerson fan. I uh, had a good year last year. Kudos for him after the losing to Texas Tech in the opener. They went 11 straight against a soft schedule, I might add, uh, to, to get to the AAC uh, championship game. They got the quarterback, Clayton Toonback. That's positive. They got you know, a really good wide receiver by the name of Tank Dell, who I, I really like. One note for everyone liking them, they're starting running back who's really good, one of the better group of five running backs in the country, tore his ACL late spring, probably not going to play. So keep that in the back of your mind when you're judging Houston. I mean, that was one of their top five players on the team. Uh, UCF, they brought in some transfers. Gus Malzahn did a pretty good job considering their quarterback got hurt last year. Mikey Keene's back at quarterback after playing as a freshman. Uh, they host Cincinnati, so they got that feather in their cap. I mean, yeah, I uh, I can tell you the bet that I made. I actually bet Cincinnati over nine. Sounds very public, uh, <laughs> but as far as the top, the contenders, I just you know Cincinnati is going to be an underdog against Arkansas in the opener, and I still have my favorite in each of their last eleven games, with the only close one pretty much coming on that road trip against UCF. So they could lose both those games. 
and still go over that nine. So that that's one of the bets that I made so far. Yeah, that UCF's a little tricky, but um, Indiana they should win that game at home. I, I don't, oh yeah, I don't see yep. Notre. Thank God Notre Dame's not on the schedule this year. Yeah, no Desmond Ritter, but Fickle's still there. And I would have bet like two years ago he wouldn't be, but uh, he still is. Man, I'm kind of surprised. He's by getting that. paid like four or five million a year now, and they're going to the Big Twelve. So. And he's an Ohio guy, so I think the only type of jobs that would pull him away would be like an Ohio State or a Notre Dame, which right. I, I think Notre Dame would have hired him, but uh, he's in the playoff mix and couldn't leave his team for several weeks, and I'm not sure that Notre Dame could be, you know, not have a head coach for three, four weeks at, at that time. Yep, yep, absolutely. And SMU has a new coach this year, too. I agree with you. I think it's uh... – I think I think those are the three top ones, and and Brad going yep. over nine. That's definitely something I'm going to be watching. That no Desmond Ritter this year, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Well, I, I think that's some of the mispricing. Here's some of the mispricing. Number one, Cincinnati returns all five stars on the offensive line, yeah. so that's something that a lot of people don't look at. Uh, and the quarterback spot, it's going to be two guys: Ben Bryant, who was at Cincinnati several years ago. In fact, Desmond Ritter just barely beat him out for the starting job. So Ben Bryant goes over to Eastern Michigan, transfers there. He was a starting quarterback at Eastern Michigan last year. Now he's back at Cincinnati. And then if he doesn't win the job, it's Cincinnati's highest-rated recruit in history, a legitimate high four-star kid by the name of Prater as his last name, so he can win the job. So I I don't think the drop-off, other than experience from Ritter, is going to be that significant. So that's probably why I found some value betting over there. Evan Prater was a great recruit for them, so I completely yep. agree with you on that one. Let's move on to the ACC, Brad. I'll let you get started with this one. Obviously, Brett Venables moving from the Clemson defensive coordinator job to the head coaching job in Oklahoma. What do you have for us in the ACC? Well, I, I think – you know, Clemson's the clear-cut favorite again. I know they had an off year last year. I know there's quite legitimate question marks. You lose Brent Venables, your longtime defensive coordinator. You lose your longtime offensive coordinator as well. Uh, you know, Tony Elliott goes to Virginia. So that's a major question mark. But I think you see a very motivated Clemson team. They were not healthy last year. They had really poor quarterback play. You know, whether it's DJ Uyunglele playing better or it's a quick hook, he gets pulled, and they go to the five-star freshman Kate Klubnick, I think you'll get better production from quarterback. They'll be healthier. Will Shipley's a guy running back that you need to keep an eye on, a former five-star recruit that could be one of the best running backs in the country. And I think the main mispricing with Clemson that people just aren't respecting is their defense. I think people forget that Clemson defensively, they were a little bit banged up last year on the defensive line. I'm here to tell you, watching them 59 spring games, if there was you know, a top three or four group unit, regardless of school or regardless of unit, whether it's the offensive line, defensive line, quarterbacks, wide receivers, you name it, Clemson's defensive line is one of the best units in all of college football. And to me, that makes them the clear-cut favorite in the conference. Number two team for me would be NC State. They return a ton of uh, production from last year, a team that won nine games, a team that beat Clemson last year. You know, they're bordering a top 10 team in my power ratings. I think a lot of people would be surprised with that. Wow. Okay. Now, I'm not surprised with that because I thought I like the way they finished last year, right? And wasn't yep. it wasn't Weagalele the the quarterback when they finished beating South Carolina 30 nothing? They t- Wake just beat the crap out of Wake Forest, and their uh, Wake, yep. Wake Forest was a public dog in that play. Um, at Louisville, they took care of business. It was, it was everything after the Pittsburgh loss, you know, it, they just took care of yep. business. They still and, won 10 games, folks. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I think they're rightful favorites. 
the problem with this whole conference, Brad, I can make a lot of arguments for a lot of teams, really. I mean, yeah. uh, that that's the thing. I mean, the bad news, really, is everybody's returning quarterbacks. You got Clemson with UI Galilee and NC State. Devin Leary's returning, right? Wake I like Ford. Devin Leary. I love Devin oh, Leary, okay. actually. I bet him 300 to 1 to win the Heisman. Are, is that number still there? No. <laughs> when I bet it, it's gone pretty much. So I think it's like 150 to 1 now. Uh, I don't know if I bet it now. I don't think he's going to win, but I, I could make a case where if they win 11 games or something, that he maybe he's Kenny Pickett. I think he could be a Kenny Pickett this year. And if I got 301, the guy sitting there uh, on that Saturday in December, and he's at least invited. I'm happy with that. Just could take an injury too to CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. You never know. I mean, yeah. that's just a killer value. Um, yeah. Well, you moved that line from us, but uh, you know, I I tell you, it, you also have Sam Hartman. You know, at Wake Forest, yep. and, and their and their defense is going to be terrible, so they're going to be throwing the ball all day. Boston College filled uh, Jerkovic. Yep, he was hurt last year, and it, Boston College was the most commonly bet over last year that didn't cash for most people. I think maybe I was part of that. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, it was funny. The, the Minnesota Vikings was the most common over, and Boston College was and neither of them cashed. Uh, last year in either sport, so or either you know NFL. I or, had both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. but here's the thing: you got it early, and you're you're way better than the closing numbers there. So that 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 shouldn't even factor in. You know, my thing here is Miami, and I couldn't believe that after I did this that I was going to get on Miami. I was kind of surprised. But I like how they returned Tyler Van Dyke. The kid's a winner. Yep. You know, he loves golfing, and that now they got you know Cristobal over there, and uh, it just feels like kind of their a revitalization for them. But Miami's in the uh, coastal, you know, and all the good teams are in the Atlantic, right? In my opinion, yep. I mean, Miami's season win total I found at eight and a half at even plus 100 and i took it um i just love their schedule and i love over the past three years they have top 17 recruiting classes on 24 7 you know i i, I think miami could be a, a sleeper and if you really want to get cute plus 700 to win the acc i found i think that they would probably play clemson maybe they don't maybe they, maybe they get lucky and, and get somebody else but plus 700 on a on a team with a with, with a schedule like miami's got I thought it was a lot of value. I mean, uh, they got Bethune Cookman, Southern Miss, uh, of course. Uh, at Texas A and M's probably a loss, and then their only other for sure loss is at Clemson. But they should be able to handle Florida State at home, at Georgia Tech, Duke, at Virginia. Virginia's in turmoil this year. Complete change of everything with their coach. Yep. Uh, Virginia Tech in turmoil too. Changed their coach. North Carolina doesn't return anybody. Lost Howell. Uh, Middle Tennessee State's a win. I see over 8.5 wins no matter what. So I, I I like that play. I certainly lean that way. And if I were to have to pick a team to win the Coastal, uh, it would be Miami. I think that you look point towards that late season home game against Pitt probably decides the division as far as I'm concerned. And one thing you like Miami even last year, I mean, they beat a couple of the other contenders in the ACC and NC State and Pittsburgh. So uh, the talent's there. Probably get better coaching. Uh, even in a year one situation under Cristobal, yeah, sure, I – I don't disagree with that. I will say this. I think the market is probably downgrading Pittsburgh a little too much. Uh, at least I'm finding value in starting in week their week one game, at least according to my numbers. 
Uh, Pittsburgh's, I, I know everyone's going to point towards Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison gone, but man, they return a bunch of pretty much everybody else. So th- that's not going to be an easy game for Miami. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, Cristobal inherits a pretty good situation year one. Well, the two things against Pitt for me is losing Mark Whipple. And I think he was. Just, right, I like that. I, I think he was a much bigger part of that Pittsburgh team than people think. And I don't like Caden Slovis. I just don't. I love the fact they return their offensive line, though. So I will be looking yeah. them on Week One because of that. I'm going to agree with what and see, folks, for you guys watching. That was very sharp for a guy that says he doesn't follow much college <laughs> football. I'm behind this and that. I am that was a very sharp couple of statements you just uh, made. Hey, Red. I appreciate that coming from you more than anybody else. So very kind of you. Let's move on to a conference that we discussed earlier in the Big Ten. I mean, and you know I'm a Big Ten guy. You know plenty about the Big Ten. This is Ohio State's to lose. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I I love – I mean, I hate Ohio State as a Badger fan, but I I love this team this year. And I think they're they should be the number one team in college football. I know Bama's there. I think Georgia lost a bunch, but the fact that they get Notre Dame in transition week one is just a freaking gift. And I'm pissed that I didn't hit that 13, and now it's at 14. And I got a half. 10 and a half. Oh, just, Jesus Christ! Well, don't even need to hear about that. <laughs> Wonderful number, but I mean. It, it's just it sets up so perfect for them. CJ Stroud is the Heisman favorite. Um, the yep. fact that they get Wisconsin and Iowa at home, you know, people say, okay, well, you get the tougher in the other division. Yeah, well, the other division's not nearly what that what the East is, but getting Wisconsin and Iowa at home and and then Michigan at home that says it all yep. for me. I know it's going to be a little tricky at Penn State, but I, I just don't see them keeping up. I mean, that Rose Bowl was one of the best Rose Bowls I've ever seen last year, and I think that their uh, two wide receivers right now, uh, Harrison and Smith Marset, is better than they had Smith last year. Jigba. Smith and Jigma, sorry, Smith Marset was someone. Smith Smith and Jigma and Harrison are possibly better than what they had last year, in my opinion. I, I, I like what they have going on. I just think that they they should be penciled in almost to the playoffs. And I think Ryan Day's got a chip on his shoulder. He's pissed. I like the fact that they got Oklahoma State's D.C. Here's the problem with the other teams. Um, and I can't get anywhere. Uh, and even as a Badger fan, I can't get anywhere in the West. Iowa's schedule is freaking brutal. Just yep. brutal. They get both Michigan and Ohio State this year. And pick your poison on that. I think it's even worse. They go to Ohio State, right? So that could be two three L's. touchdown underdog right now in that game. Yep, three touchdown underdog, right? Wisconsin lost a lot on defense, and I'm super concerned with that. Chaz Malusi, you know, I just think that even with Leonard there, Graham Mertz did not look good to me, and he had the yips, and he might still have the yips, and he doesn't exactly have a bunch of great pass catchers. As a matter of fact, the top three pass catchers of the Badgers last year was Davis, Ferguson, and Pryor, and all three of those guys are gone. All three. I'm leaning strong under, and I'm just waiting for a nine on Wisconsin, and I'll fire under on that one. But Nebraska – You can find it if you shop. Yeah, I'm – 
I'm sure I can, and um, I, I'll find one with less juice, let's just say. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Nebraska is the interesting team for me because, like I said about Mark Whipple, he, he moves on to be a coordinator. Uh, you, th- you would think a horizontal move, but Nebraska's just been a, a blue-blood type program for years until the last 15. And, and I just think that their last four games are tough, but at least – they get Wisconsin and Minnesota at home. You know, Wisconsin's got to go to Nebraska. That's going to be a pain. Iowa's all over the place. I think the last four games for Iowa and Nebraska and Wisconsin and Minnesota are all very difficult. But I might just bet Nebraska to win the Big Ten West because I'll get plus money on it. Wisconsin will oh, be. Oh, wow. I, I will to win the Big Ten West. I, I'll do that. I, I bet you nobody else is on Nebraska this year, Brad. And, um, no. I, j- I just feel that, you know, they got that Casey Thompson from Texas, and I thought he was okay. I think with Whipple. Yeah, I agree with that. I, th- I think Whipple can whip him into shape, pun intended there. So, uh, I-, I mean, that's what I'm leaning towards. I didn't make the bet yet. What do you have in the Big Ten? Well, I don't disagree with the Buckeyes. I think you're crazy if you're betting any other team but Ohio State to win the conference. Uh, I just think they're so much farther ahead than everybody else. And the point spreads reflect that. I mean, to, to me, the number two teams in Michigan, and yet you got Ohio State at home against Michigan, a two-touchdown favorite. And an Ohio State team that's going to be plenty motivated. I think you hit the nail on the head there on multiple aspects. Number one, the wide receiver position. I agree with you. I think they got a better duo with Harrison and Jackson Smith and Jigba this year than what they had with Alave. And, and Garrett Wilson a year ago. That's scary. And then the, I haven't even talked about C.J. Stroud, the Heisman favorite. Travion Henderson's a top five running back in college football. You add it up, you got the best offense in college football, bar none. And I think defensively they'll be better. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I fully expecting, you know, and spoiler alert, uh, Alabama-Ohio State National Championship. I, 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 I'd be stunned if it's not that, to be honest with you. Uh other teams in the East, Michigan be two, but again, they're at Ohio State, so I don't expect them to win that one. Penn State, Michigan State, further behind there. West, you're right. I think it's one of the most intriguing division battles in all of college football. And you're right, it's between four teams. And I would say, power rating wise, uh, Wisconsin would be you know the leader of the pack there, but not significantly over in Iowa, or Minnesota, or Nebraska. You know, I just drove yesterday to Arizona to bet Nebraska under eight. So <laughs> I, I got to see it first. I mean, you me, a guy, a guy that's had four straight losing seasons, can't get over the hump in close games. Is that bad luck or is that just bad coaching? So, and I, I don't think they've recruited that well. And I, I just, I, I don't see athletes on the perimeter for Nebraska that would make me confident that they can beat Iowa, who they've struggled against. Wisconsin they can't beat. Minnesota they've struggled with. I mean, they, they have not – it's just not a one-year wonder for them. They've been behind those three other programs for several years now. So I, I just don't see it for the Huskers. I give you credit. you got more <laughs> gumption than I do betting on them to win the West. I, I think it's one of the other three. Well, if I'm betting against my team, you pay attention, Brad. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. There's There was buying signs on Nebraska last year because if you look at, uh, I believe, their yards per play, and I, I'm just remem- trying to remember from last year, and I'll pull it up. I'd see it was it. good. I, I think that they always outgained their opponent and lost. And th- that's sometimes. They always do that, though. That's <laughs> what Scott Frost has been doing. Like maybe look, I lost. I, look, I fell into that trap two, three years ago where I kept betting Nebraska because statistically speaking, I mean this team's much better than their record. 
And then after losing, I think a Colorado game in 2019, just totally like I was done with Scott Frost. Haven't been back since, and I'm glad I haven't. I would have lost more money. See, I'm the one of the ones that held out this whole time. So it's me. It's time for me to lose on Nebraska. But uh, uh, 1.14 net yards per play positive. What the hell is this team doing not making a bowl game last year? And you know what? They shedded their quarterback. Was it what was his name? Rodriguez? I forgot his name. Martinez. Mart- Adrian Martinez. AJ Martinez. And Casey Thompson's in there right now from Texas with a chip on his shoulder. Mark Whipple's going to be running the show. I think that just Scott Frost has got to keep them all together, and I think they have a shot just because they at least, like I said, get Minnesota and Wisconsin at home in the last game. It's going to be decided at Iowa. But one thing I will say, Brad, that none of them might even get eight wins in this division because they're playing Ohio State. They're all playing Michigan, right? None of them, none of them yeah, might. I got them all, you know, with the exception of Nebraska, who I think is going to go to a bowl game. This will be his best team. I just think they're seven and five is okay. where I have them. You know, Minnesota, eight and four. You know, Wisconsin, right in that eight and four, nine and three range. You know, I would, because they're scheduled seven and five, eight and four. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be a very competitive division race. I'll put it that way. And let's not forget, I think Purdue's also a, a pretty good team. I have bet them, believe it or not, over seven. So they'll be in the mix as well, the Boilermakers. Well, there you go, the Boilermakers. That That is my wild card. I agree with you there. The Boilermakers were very interesting, and I hit them. They were one of my really – I was in well on the Boilermakers last year. Not so much Minnesota. I'm still shocked over that Bowling Green loss. But, yeah, uh, Purdue is definitely a sneaky one. But it's, it's just kind of like the ACC with Clemson there. It's just the other teams are just all good. So it's going to be an interesting one to watch for sure. Now, if you're mad at me about Nebraska, Brad, you might be uh, more angry with me uh, talking about the Big 12 here. Um, and I'll start just to throw it out there. I bet – I well, first of all, I bet Oklahoma under 9.5 wins. Um, oh, wow. I did. And I like Brett Venables. I do. Um but this team's just in ma- major transition. And I know they got some, rec- you know, this is this whole experimental thing too. Like LSU recruits coming in, USC, they're getting some coming in themselves. But there's only three returning starters on offense. And they're, they do go to at Nebraska. And Nebraska did outgain them last year. I, I wonder, that's going to be a, a very transitional game at, Ohio- at Iowa State. And then, obviously, you got the Texas game. And and Texas is at least more set up, in my opinion, this year than them because they have consistency with Sark there. So I'll say that. Baylor was my best bet last year, and I had them over five and a half wins, and that cashed the sixth game. So um, I think I had them to – I have to look back. Yeah, I had them to win the uh, Big 12, too, for a really small, like, beer money play. But whatever, I was happy about that. Um Oklahoma State. Yeah, you won more than a small beer off. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I certainly did. That that was a great one. But then you look at Oklahoma State and, you know, some of these magazines like Lindy's and stuff, they have uh, uh, Oklahoma State is the best. But I I don't like Sanders. I I, I never did. I think he's kind of peaked a little bit. And they did lose their defensive coordinator uh, to Ohio State. I just think that you can make an argument for a lot of things in this conference, but I do. I just think Oklahoma's got a lot of issues coming up. I bet under nine and a half. I love Brett Venables. I think he's going to do well, but we don't know him as a head coach yet. That tells me under. We just don't know. You know, is he the? I've seen him fired up many times on the Clemson sideline. Don't get me wrong, but when he's running the show, and there's that. 
a lot of that NIL money affecting people, and it's his first year. Just not seeing it, man. Why don't you comment on that? I disagree. Uh, not not in the nine and a half. I bet a rogue eight and a half. I went over, obviously. Paid some juice. But, uh, I mean, on paper, they're still, in my opinion, the best team in the Big 12 as far as a pure power rating. Uh, but, I mean, the gap is pretty, you know, much closer than what it was in past years uh, between them and a Texas, a Baylor, and Oklahoma State. Uh, I did fade Oklahoma. You know, Chris Andrews at the South Point here in Vegas. I was a little too high on Oklahoma, and I bet against Oklahoma in about every game that he posted. So I'm with <laughs> you in that one. Uh, I, I just, you know, I watched their spring game, and I think there's still a lot of talent on that roster. I mean, even at the skill positions. I, I thought Dylan Gabriel coming from UCF, remember he was hurt last year. He looked good in that offense. I like the coaching staff that – uh, Venables put together Jeff Levy, who's a former Oklahoma player and offensive coordinator. They'll still run some tempo there. Uh, I, I still think defensively, they just got more dudes than most of the rest of the conference. So I still think they're the favorite. Uh, if you're going to bet, you know, one of the longer shots, quote unquote, probably Baylor. Cause I mean, Texas is getting a lot of love, but man, I got to tell you, Baylor at the line of scrimmage just looked totally different than any other big 12 to the spring game that I watched. They're long, they're quick. They don't have a lot of name, uh, you know, name type players, but and Dave Aranda, I think, is one of the best defensive minds in college football. Doesn't get enough credit, so you know, seven to one. I thought it was last I looked. I would go there, Baylor, to, to repeat as Big Twelve champs. All right, seven. There you go, seven to one. That's really high. I mean, right now I see it like two or three to one in most books. So really, two to three to one. Well, then well, they got bet but, into. I might, I might have had, you know some influence there but i i'm not the only one betting that one that was way too high yeah that that was i agree i missed out on that one and that one was certainly too high and i want to just confirm what i just said here so i'm not blowing smoke up people's rear ends here to win the conference oklahoma here and i'm just pulling up DraftKings is plus 160 to win the big 12 really? DraftKings where they had seven to one that's where i ended up betting that my goodness that's terrible so like, I would not bet that. Well, it looks like that, that, that might pay for your gas money uh, driving to Arizona then, Brad. So yeah. so, so there you go. <laughs> I got to tell you, I love DraftKings and MGM. They are some weak lines in these books, man. Um, but <laughs> but here's what I was going to say, and I don't, I'm not sure what your take on it is, but I don't think I've ever bet over on this team in my life. Uh-oh. And I bet them over 2.5 wins at plus money. And that's Kansas. Um, <laughs> and that's what you're going to beat me up over. But here's my here's the thing. I mean, Kansas, this is the most one of the most transitional years in the Big 12. They're probably a little down on themselves, you know. Uh, Team-wise, you know, are they going to recruit? I mean, I know they always kind of recruited a little bit against the SEC and everything. But now it's probably even more challenging. I like Lance Leopold. And I've won money on him when he went to Buffalo, when he came from University of Whitewater in Wisconsin and won all those championships. He goes to Buffalo, turns that team completely around. I believe in this guy, and this is his second year. We can't forget that they beat Texas last year. And that, was a, that was what a hell of a game. But they were in the Oklahoma game, too. It was for a while, but you know, it, it, yep, it, they, it, they took him to the very end. And over 2.5 wins at plus 120, and that's what I found. And I think it was DraftKings 
you looking at Kansas, they should be Tennessee Tech here, their first game. Yeah, that'll be a four touchdown favor in that game. Okay. Uh, but then, you know, they have some other winnable games against Duke, who is they'll in, be favored in that one. They'll be favored in two games by a lot. They just need to get one other win. And I have at West Virginia as a potential one. I have TCU at home as a potential. I have at Texas Tech as a potential, not as much after you talk, but at Kansas State, they get Texas at home, Oklahoma State at home. I mean, there's got to be another win in here, especially with a Lance Leopold team that ranks 10th, according to Bill Conley's first issue of college football returning production, which expires quick, we know now, this these years. Yeah. But, but still, man... I like Kansas over two and a half for plus money. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I laid heavy juice on one and a half, which I thought was a ridiculous <laughs> number. I hope to cash that early in the season, but I, I think they can win a conference game. And key, I think people forget he was Lance Leopold was put in a terrible spot last year. I mean, he didn't get hired till after the spring mm-hmm. pretty much uh, very late in the process. And for them to be as competitive as what they were at the end of the season, beating Texas very competitive against TCU and West Virginia down the stretch. You mentioned the Oklahoma game where they could have won the game outright. Forget the, the against the spread. Yeah, I, I think this is a team that's probably three and nine. I think right now I got them like number ninety nine overall in my power innings. I couldn't tell you the last time Kansas was in my top one hundred. Uh, <laughs> I, I know it doesn't sound much, but I mean, even though they're a power five team, they've been in the bottom ten to fifteen, even in a power rating for it seems like at least a half a decade. So. I'm with you. I would, even though I bet over one and a half, I would still lean over two and a half. That's how much I like that. Awesome stuff, man. I'm glad we have some agreement there. I had to hold my breath before that one. I was wondering how bad you're going to tear into me, no, but I'm glad no. we got some uh, some agreement on this one. Let's move on to the next then real quick. Conference USA, I'm just going to say I've got nothing. and There's just a lot of teams, a uh, lot of transition coming up. Yeah, UTSA was the co-favorite kind of last year, and I agreed with it last year, but I didn't want to bet them three to one to win it. And hell, they won it anyway. I like McCormick, their running back that I could not believe didn't get drafted. Sincere McCormick. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of production, but now UAB is there, and I'm pretty sure Bill Clark still coaches there. So I, 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 I'm going to favor UAB if anything. But that's all I have. Have you made anything in conference? You said. I have made any significant bets in that conference. It's probably the one conference where I, ha- I don't have too much action right now. Uh, UAB deserves to be the favorite. They are the favorite. Uh, UTSA would be in that number two spot. The only team I did bet on, I think they've downgraded them too much in the market. I bet Western Kentucky uh, against Hawaii in, in week uh, in week one. Uh, that's a game that I, I fired on. And keep in mind, when season win total, here's another key that sometimes the books miss. They played 13 games because of that road trip to, against Hawaii. And I saw some early numbers had like their season win total at eight. I don't, I mean, for them to go under, they got to lose six games. I don't see that. And I know they lost their all everything quarterback, but this is not a seven and 16 this year. They're still one of the three best teams in that league. So I did go over eight on, on the Hilltoppers. Yeah, they uh, were fantastic last year. And I was worried a little bit when I did bet UTSA single game. I believe in their championship and they end up winning it. But um, Western Kentucky was fantastic. And obviously their quarterbacks in the pros now. So we'll see what happens uh, with them. Good stuff. Let's move on to the Mac then. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Brad, boy, was I wrong about Tom Hammock uh, in the Huskies. I got my ass kicked on that play last year. 
I didn't think that they were even going to be close to what they did. And I didn't just lose. I lost bad because I just thought my discrepancy was four or five win difference probably than what they ended up finishing. I at least had Kent State with plus money at something like 10 to win to win the conference. And I did hedge that. I did bet Northern Illinois, thanks goodness. So I did make money off that future ticket. But um, I do like how Northern Illinois this year gets Toledo at home, which is the kind of co-favorite in this conference right now. And I also like how they avoid Buffalo and Kent State from the other side. Uh, They also rank eighth in returning production. So I I might play them to win the MAC, and I haven't yet, but I did play them, laid some juice over six and a half wins. Uh, What's your thoughts on the MAC? Uh, I agree with you on missing out on Northern Illinois last year. Just didn't get that. What were they like? 100, 150 to one to win the conference. I mean, they were coming off a winless season, and mm-hmm. I didn't. And that was year two under him, and year one wasn't good either. So, I mean, that was a big surprise. Keep in mind, they won a bunch of close games. So they did. There's a they could very easily lost four, five, six games. But I watching the bowl game, I was very impressed with yeah. their performance against Coastal Carolina. They return a lot, but one thing that's not in there. They did lose their running back to transfer to Memphis. I'm not sure that's in that overall eighth ranked uh, in Connolly's early numbers there. So keep that in mind. He's a thousand yard uh, rusher, Decker. Uh, they do end up losing him, but they're the number two team for me in that division. Number one is Toledo, even though I, I can't stand the coach. Lost a huge bet on their season win total last year. They lost four games as a nine plus point favorite outright. Uh, but with that being said, I bet Toledo this year, again, over their season win, so over seven, over seven and a half, I think they're the favorite, at least in the West. Toledo over seven or seven and a half. Okay. And you, you yeah, Barstool has seven, DraftKings seven and a half. I mean, you look at their schedule. I mean, the only underdog role, in my opinion, clear underdog role would be against the Buckeyes. All right. Well, there you go. Well, I would say that maybe um, at Northern they might not be uh, – favored I, I think that would be close right and northern yeah Illinois. that'll be close yeah 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 here's the thing you know, and you said decker went to kansas well there you go man i'm okay with that <laughs> oh memphis memphis oh oh memphis oh yeah screw memphis all right uh next next conference <laughs> let's move on to the mountain west uh Utah State, man, holy cow! The, you know, I didn't, I, I stayed away. I think mostly on this one, but they, I, they did surprise me last year. Um, I, then they even followed through in the in the LA Bowl and lo- and they beat Oregon State. I mean, what the hell? Uh, uh, this Utah State caught me by surprise. And just watching that last year, I don't have any good feel in the Mountain West. Maybe you have something better for me. It's weird. I think, you know, living out here, I watch so much more Mountain West, and I'm not sure that the, I'm not sure that the market, because it's such an East Coast-driven, you know, society we live in, I'm not sure that they watch much Pac-12 and Mountain West football, because I find myself heavily involved in those conferences now that I live out here. Uh, I'll tell you, I think Boise State's the best team, uh, but I haven't bet any futures or season win total with them. I am heavily involved on Air Force over 7.5. I really like Air Force this year. Uh, I did fade Utah State. Keep in mind, they were very fortunate in a lot of those games, including a win over Air Force. I bet under eight and under seven and a half on Utah State. I don't see them repeating. I bet under eight and a half on San Diego State, the team that they beat in the in the Mountain West Championship game a year ago. I don't see San Diego State winning that division. Even with a first-year coach, I think Fresno State's got the best personnel. Jake Hayner's back at quarterback. They have a really good set of wide receivers. They're the best team in the West Division. I, I expect Boise State to play Fresno State, but I am heavily involved in a lot of season win totals. Wyoming, I bet under. Uh, so 
I mean, it's also a conference that has the bottom three teams as far as returning production. So it's tough for me to to have a Nevada ticket who I think really takes a step back. Hawaii is going to be putrid. I have faded Hawaii in a couple of games, and Wyoming is the other team. Yeah, and you said it all right there. It's kind of just so much change, and you can make an argument for a few teams here. I do like your over on the Air Force for sure. And um, I, they return a lot of guys. You know, they return all their skill positions. They do for a service academy. Yeah, yeah, all their skill positions. Guys used to run the option. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many good things that they have going for them. Manageable schedule, I think. Um, they yep. get Boise State at home at least. I know they got to go to Army. They always do. Now they always do. Uh, yeah, it's a neutral game in Texas. Okay, you're right. You're right. It is neutral. It says at Army on here, but that should be neutral. New Mexico, that's a win. Colorado State, last one at San Diego State could get a little dicey. Ho- yeah, hopefully, I they, agree. They, hopefully they have it closed by then. All right, good good stuff. Now here, then let's move on to the Pac-12. Uh, there's a lot of love for Lincoln Riley, Brad, and um, he's bringing Caleb Williams with him. Uh, you know, it's funny. There's this rumor that he might go to Wisconsin. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you talking about surprises? I would have been stunned if he'd done that. I would have too. Uh, not going with his coach for one, and I, there's just some relationship there with Wisconsin. Um, I think it's Wisconsin's new coordinator they got from the Ravens that played in the NFL and um, Bobby Ingram. I think he's got some yep. sort of uh, like, like maybe it's his nephew or something. I don't know. He's got a great relationship, but um, you know he made the probably the right choice <laughs> with Lincoln Riley. I mean, he wants to be a, a pro quarterback, <laughs> right? And not and not hand off yeah. the ball day. But um, I, yeah, and, and I guess if there's an upside for Wisconsin, it is Bobby Ingram. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, Pac-12. I, I I'm just not buying USC their first year, man. I I think they have a a, a massive season win total nine and a half. Um, it's unbelievable. It, it is, it, and they have a tough schedule. I mean, it, pretty tough. I mean, they still got to play Notre Dame, don't they? I mean, I, I have yep. to, I have to pull it you up. Get them at home. Okay. Well, here's here's my here's my thoughts in the nutshell. Then um, Utah showed extremely well in the Rose Bowl, as everybody knows, but. Um, there's, they seem to be the, a big favorite here. The public likes them a lot. And then yet their season win total is eight and a half and USC's is nine and a half. I disagree with that. I think that should be flipped personally. Um, now did I play either of them yet? No, I'm going to see what you have to say, but I'm going to lean Utah over eight and a half. I'm going to lean USC under, I mean, Utah returns their quarterback, obviously. And, uh, uh, the one I did bet was Cal. Uh, I bet Cal over five and a half. I just like Justin Wilcox. I love how the schedule set up for them. Um, I think he's just sneaky good on defense. And the five and a half is always so tempting because six to make a bowl game. Um, I made the play with Justin Wilcox, and I think uh, this will be a little sneaky year for Cal. What's your thoughts? I'll start with the USC-Utah argument. I have bet those. I have bet under 9.5 and, and over 8.5. I would say Utah over 8.5 is one of my absolute favorite season win total bets. I just, I mean, I, I'm very pro-Utah. I love Winningham. Love their quarterback, Cam Rising. Oh, Keep yeah. in mind, when they lost to San Diego State and uh, BYU at the start of the season, he wasn't their quarterback. So right, right. he only lost one game in the regular season uh, when he became the starter. So, I like that. Uh, they got enough talent back. I, you know, So I, I know they lose a couple of key guys, but I still think they should be clear-cut. The, the favorite in the Pac-12 
even though the market disagrees with me. I did bet Utah plus three at home against USC. That was an early number at FanDuel. Uh, and I have bet under USC nine and a half. Now, with that being said, and the unique thing with this market this year is, man, you got a lot of sportsbook directors with different opinions. So I hate USC this year as far as market value. But one sportsbook director, Chris Anders here at the South Point, yeah. is very low on USC to the point where – I bet on USC in almost every one of their games, the lines, the games of the year that he posted. I took them plus five against Notre Dame, plus six against UCLA. I got plus nine against Utah, so I got a fat 12-point middle in that game already. Uh, so, I mean, I think they're going to be much improved, and I've said this a lot. I think USC could be the most improved team in the country this year and still be the most overrated. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at there. I, th- I think Utah wins the conference. I'll, I'll be kind of surprised if they don't. Wow, that's interesting. The most improved and most overrated. Most overrated, yeah. That is it. Well, I mean, the market's treating them. Look, I got a most improved in my power ratings, but, I mean, I barely got them as a top 25 team. The market, look at the futures. Look at the season win total. Look at some of these game of the year lines at some books. I mean, they're treating them like they're a clear-cut top 10, borderline top 5 team. I don't see that at all, especially the line of scrimmage. They They didn't return anybody. I mean, on offense, there's just all new guy. Now, Caleb Williams played, of course, but still, I mean, I can't imagine their defense being anything. Uh, I know Grinch. No. I mean, Grinch no. is there, but Jesus. I think Grinch is overrated. Oh, okay. I know you liked him in the, in the past, Brad, so you kind of flipped on that a little. I did. I mean, I, but I got to be honest with you. Oklahoma was on paper last year. That should have been Lincoln Riley's best team, and it was his worst team. Now, you can make the case that maybe he had one foot out the door at the end of the season, but there was no reason for that Oklahoma team to have the performance that they had a year ago. I know they still won 10 games, but look how many one-possession games they won there. They could easily have been like a 7-5 and five team. And when I thought there was going to be the best Oklahoma team on paper in a decade, they vastly underachieved a year ago, and it starts, you know, defense. Here's my problem with USC, and – Oh. With the under nine and a half. No, and I'm not saying, I say I said I leaned it, so I'm already on your side there. They just have an easy schedule kind of to me. Um, I agree. I mean, I have the for sure losses at Utah. I can't say it's a for sure loss home against Notre Dame after Lincoln Riley went a whole season. Um, I have a half a loss at Oregon State. Uh, that could be wrong. They get ASU at home, Washington State at home. They avoid Oklahoma, or sorry, they avoid Oregon from the north. They avoid Washington from the north. Um, Stanford's an absolute freaking mess. And sh- and like I said, sh- I should have brought this up, but Shaw is probably on his way out. If you look at Stanford's schedule. Oh. <laughs> you, would th- you would think, but I don't know. <laughs> Dude, that schedule's bad, man. It's bad. And, you know, starting out at Rice, at Stanford, Fresno State, win, win, win. Maybe win against Oregon State, win against ASU, win against Washington State at home most likely, at Utah loss, at Arizona, I hope a freaking win. Cal, maybe, probably a win at home. Colorado, a definite win at home. At UCLA, I'm going to give them a loss. And then Notre Dame, a half a win. So I have three losses right there, which gets you to the dance. But I'm so damn close on it, man. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I'm more in the nine and three range. Here's what I'll say on what I'm banking on USC. They got a debt problem at almost every position. So if I lose that, it's going to be because they stayed healthy all year, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not sure is going to be the case. And I mean, you can look at any of their positions. That I mean, I just forget the quarterback spot. If they get injured, you know, outside of wide receiver, maybe running back. That's why everyone loves them. The skill position. 
But, man, they just get a couple injuries on that offensive or defensive line. They're sunk. Where games against, like, the Oregon States of the world that you're, you know, pounding your fist, that's a win, be, turns into a loss as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, and that's why I put point five. I, I think there's going to be a stinker when it, somewhere here. Yeah. And, and that's what they're used to doing. So Lincoln Riley had stinkers at Oklahoma. I mean, how many times did he lose against Iowa State? All right, here, here's what you do. Go twice as big on your Utah over and half the size on your on your USC under. There you go. I've man. already taken care of that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to the <laughs> SEC. And I'm going to admit it, Brad, I made the mistake last year thinking I was cute and trying to take a shot against Bama by betting Ole Miss and Texas A&M futures. I think I got them like at 20 to one or maybe 15 to one on the other or something like that. I just thought, you know, this is a transition year, Bryce Young's first year, uh, A&M recruiting, blah, blah, blah. And I was wrong. And I'm sure as hell not going to do it now that Bryce Young's returning and um, George has got their quarterback returning. What I will say about the SEC, this is the most bet on conference. So it's like the lines technically should be market-wise, the sharper ones, you would think. Yeah. Tennessee and Kentucky is kind of interesting to me. I, I don't know what to make of them. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like they have some upside. Um, South Carolina is even a little bit interesting. I just, I think that this is just, uh, I don't see any value. How can it not be Alabama and Georgia? Florida is a mess right now. Yeah. Um. If new coach and everything, I have no plays in the SEC. What do you got? Well, in the futures market, I really don't. I mean, Alabama and Georgia should be the favorite, clear cut favorites. I'll be absolutely stunned if they're not playing one another in the SEC championship game. I have both teams double digit favorite in every single one of their games. So uh, that, that's even even with Georgia losing fifteen guys to the pros, they've still have recruited far better than anybody in the East. Now, if they were in the West, it'd be a different story. I could see them getting tripped up a couple of times, but they're not. So I I think they'll easily win the East. And then Alabama, I think on paper, is one of the best teams that I've ever power rated at this point. I mean, any question mark that they've kind of had, oh, wide receiver, they got a question mark. Well, what do they do? They go grab Georgia's, one of their best wide receivers, and then they get the Louisville speedster, one of the fastest wide receivers in the country, to take a top off of defense. So they'll be better there. Offensive line's kind of a concern, but they took a three-year starter from Vanderbilt to tackle in the transfer portal. You got the best offensive player in the country in Bryce Young, best defensive player in the country by far in Will Anderson, maybe a generational type of defensive player, a guy that, believe it or not, I bet to win the Heisman at 40-1. to one. I think uh, I think that trend line's starting to – that narrative's kind of switching a little bit. We saw two guys in the de- on the defense side of the ball, including Will Anderson, finishing the top five of the Heisman last year. So – uh, I re- you got the greatest coach of all time, and you're motivated because you just lost the national championship game. So Alabama runs away at the division. Now, other bets that I made, I did bet Tennessee over seven, seven and a half. I really like Hendon Hooker at quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I like him better than Kentucky. Keep in mind they beat Kentucky last year in year one spot. So and Tennessee gets Kentucky at home. So I think Tennessee's the second best team in the East. Second best team in the West for me is A and M. I did bet them over eight and a half. We'll see. I'm waiting to be disappointed there. <laughs> oh man, I don't even know what to make of AM with Jimbo in this tough conference here. He's not really showing me much. Maybe it was just kind of a fluke almost that he won with uh with uh what's his face. Um yeah, yeah. He, I mean, don't forget Latu. Cameron Latu is back for Bama yeah, too. Tight end. Yeah, just he's a just an absolute beast. Probably first pick of the draft first tight end of the draft. Um Michael Mayer, Notre Dame would be the first. Uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> we'll 
see. I'll give you another name, another transfer for Alabama. That's why I love him so much. Gibbs from Georgia Tech, who can be an all-purpose player, return kicks for him, catch a ball in the backfield, be, be a running back. That kid is going to be unbelievable for Alabama. Yep, there you go. They're just kind of lynching teams. And what the hell is George as a Georgia fan seeing Jermaine Burton? Tra- I, what are you supposed to? Oh my god! What? I hate to say it, but the kid probably made the right decision. I mean, he's going to get just as much NIL money, if not more, in Alabama. And he's going to have a better shot at the pros and a pass offense. You know, when you got Agreed. Bryce Young, it's just, it was the Bryce right Young, choice. Who would you rather have throwing you the football, Bryce Young or <laughs> yeah, I know, it, was a, it was a professional choice, man. And yep. Georgia fans, I can't wait for them to boo him, but it's going to be fun to watch. But the, the, kid made the, <laughs> the kid made the right choice. Great stuff, man. Well, real quick, let's hit on the fun belt. I'm just going to say it's pretty awesome that James Madison is joining the fun in the fun belt here. I think it's so cool. I was waiting for this. Um, the only thing I I want to run by you, I think Georgia State, I, I like them some. I don't love their schedule. Start, yeah. I, I mean, they start out against two ACC teams, and then they got to go to App State and to James Madison late in the year. Uh, Old Dominion's kind of interesting to me, quiet. Uh, I, I didn't make any plays yet. Uh, just too much transition for Louisiana. App State's got some decent returners. I haven't made any plays. What do you have for us in the Sun Belt? So I am heavily involved in the Sun Belt, probably more than any other Ooh. conference. Not that I have any futures. I do think App State's the best team. I expect them to win the conference this year. Uh, I bet Coastal Carolina under eight and a half. I know a lot of people love them, and I love the coach. I love the quarterback, but everybody else is gone from the team that's won so many games the last two years. That whole unit outside of Grayson McCall is gone. So – I bet under eight and a half for them. Uh, DraftKings put up the worst number I've seen on any season win total this year. They put up Marshall five and a half. Bet over five and a half. I bet over six. I bet over six and a half. I know it's a new conference for Marshall, but I think they're one of the better teams. And James Madison is the other team. You you mentioned, I I think they're an FBS type program. I don't see it this year. They don't return a lot. They lost a lot of guys. Uh, Some of the quarterbacks gone. Their best player, playmaker on offense, transferred to South Carolina. And I think he easily starts and might be the best wide receiver at South Carolina. That tells you something. Under seven and a half, James Madison, Barstool's really good. I mean, really good. Because I also bet under six and a half. Uh, okay. Keep in mind, I don't think the books always do this. They only play 11 games. So if you're thinking, uh, you know, keep that in the back of your mind as well. So I think James Madison, even though I love their program, they struggle in year one at the FBS. Ooh, sneaky. Well, only 11 games they're playing this year, and they're yeah. sitting there at seven and a half. I, I got it. You see eight and three? Are you kidding me? But oh. that schedule, I mean, that's what people don't realize. The Sun Belt, if I were to power rate, average power rating for a conference the last 10, 15 years, I would say the average power rating of a Sun Belt team is the most improved out of any other conference. I mean, this conference is no joke. I mean, App State, the Coast Carolinas, you're bringing in Marshall, a very talented team on paper. I mean, Georgia State's a, a, could beat you. Uh, I, I just and J, JMU's in the in the much tougher division. I mean, I actually, even though I don't like Louisiana this year, they're in that by far weaker of the divisions. I, I just uh, I I don't see it for JMU. Not a lot of slam dunk wins on the schedule. One other team that I bet I love Southern Miss. I bet over four. I would bet over four and a half. Much improved team. I loved how they finished last year. They, keep in mind, they ran out of quarterbacks, so they had to run Wildcat, and they won a couple games at the end of last year with Frank Gore Jr. 
playing quarterback, a running back for him. So I love the Southern Miss this year. Holy cow, they had a horrible stretch, losing like yeah. seven, eight in a row. and or Yeah, at least seven in a row. And then they win at Louisiana Tech and against FIU by both by double digits. Um, interesting. So, and you said the number was four? Four, four and a half shop as always and if you take anything away from this shop folks and i'm not talking you got to look at 10 or 12 different books just look at four or five there are so many disparate season win total numbers out there if you're betting them i mean you name any team in the country you'll you'll be able to find a half win difference somewhere yeah absolutely shop 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 is what we preach all the time anything real quick with the independence um, I, I, I'm not high on Notre Dame this year. I think they get some year one struggles uh, from Marcus Freeman, mainly because of schedule, starting with the Buckeye game and the Clemson, BYU, mm-hmm. a much-improved USC team. So I don't like Notre Dame. I did bet – I like BYU quite a bit. Even though they have played a really tough schedule, I bet over seven and a half. Yeah, BYU ran right through the Pac-12 last year. And, uh, yeah. And then they <laughs> that stinker against Boise State and they, they, their schedule is just so dang weird all the time. Um, I see eight and a half juice to the under. Um, so I think that's a. Oh uh, yeah, I wouldn't bet that. When I say numbers, I probably yeah. I keep forgetting that after I bet them, yeah. they, they might move. Uh, eight and a half, I would not bet that. Yeah. Uh, another one that I did, I don't know what your numbers are showing on Liberty. I did bet Liberty over six and a half. I think the market's too down on them with losing Malik Willis, Hugh Freeze. Is believe it or not, if you're just betting on a coach game in and game out, Hugh Freeze is the most probable coach in, in the country. Under, last ten years. under six and a half plus one twenty. So I'm gonna go over, over. You're gonna go over six. I lay the right? juice. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so even with Liberty, um, you must have seen some eights or something. Were you oh, saying seven and a half? Uh, no, no. It was it's six and a half. Over yeah. juiced, so you said you'll go. Yeah, over? yeah, six and a half over juiced is good. Okay, so Great you bet. so you like him enough here to go over without Malik Willis. Yeah, yeah. Oh. If I said under, I misspoke. Okay, I, I I think you might have, but then again, I was trying to read this for you, so I might have lost you on this. Okay, yeah, good stuff, man. I don't have a ton with the uh, independence yet, but I'll definitely look at th- some of those. And thank you so much for the free plays that you've given us, and uh, uh, really love that. And we're gonna, I'm sure, sh- I'm sure all the listeners are pounding right through it right now, looking at the sports books trying to find some of those amazing uh plays that you made brad uh but real quick who wins the 2022 national championship i I fully expect alabama to play ohio state and i'm gonna take alabama uh to beat ohio state even though i think it's a much more competitive game than the title game a couple years ago i love ohio state's offense but alabama offense defense and then the coaching matchup i just think it's got a little bit of an edge so I did bet Alabama immediately during the game against Georgia. I am I bet Alabama and William Hill to win it all. So that that's how confident I was. William Hill accepting bets. Uh, you, you know, I like Ohio State, so I'm going to go against you here. I right. I, I, I took him at six to one. Um, good luck. Good, for, bet. good luck finding that number again. Uh, I CJ like I said, CJ Stroud the favorite to win the Heisman. I think they have the easiest way to the playoffs. I, I think Alabama still has a little bit shady of a way. I mean, yeah, they'll play Georgia in the SEC championship game, but that means no hiccups along the way. You know, yeah. um, they they would lose two. There's a chance they can be left out. Um, 
and you're probably right. It's going to be Ohio State versus them, but um, I'll take six to one all day in Ohio State, and maybe I'll be able to hedge that with with an Alabama ticket later. So that's what uh, I don't have a problem with that. There would only be two bets to make in the national title futures, as yep. far as I'm concerned, and it'd be Alabama and be Ohio State. Awesome, great stuff, Brad. Where can our listeners find your wonderful information and plays for the year? Yeah, you can first follow me on Twitter. It's free. Uh, if you have a Twitter account, at BradPower7. I post plays on there every now and then, or just uh, people have told me I'm on OK Follow. I, you know, I'm <laughs> sorry to ask. So follow me on Twitter, or you can check me out on my website, BradPowerSports.com. When you're putting Lloyd Carr up as a picture with a Notre Dame hat, you're an OK Follow for sure, man, in my yeah. book. So, <laughs> yeah, make sure you check out Brad out. He's a, it, it, probably the most important sports betting follow that I could uh, think of in college uh, football, and I think many people would definitely agree with me. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show, my man. We'll talk to you next uh, August. Hey, thanks for having me. My friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If there's any teams that you would like in-depth analysis of before the season start in the NFL or college football, feel free to tweet us at the Oddsbreakers. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the games. Enjoy all the fights. And go get some winners.